0: Chapter 16 of the Green Odyssey by Philip Jose Farmer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 Then the flare had died and had left nothing but its after image on the eye, and panic on the brain. Green did not know what to make of it. In the first instant, he had thought that it was the roller alone that was speeding toward an uncharted, forest grown hill. Immediately after he'd seen that his senses were deceiving him, and that the mass was also moving. It had looked like a hill or several hills, sliding across the grass toward them. But even as the darkness came back he'd seen that there were other hills behind it, and that the whole thing was actually a sort of iceberg of rocks and of soil from which grew trees. That was all he could make out in that confusing moment even then he couldn't believe it because a mountain didn't just run along on its own volition on flat land credible or not it was not being ignored by the helmsmen. they must have turned the wheel almost at once for green could feel the leaning of the mast to port and the shift of wind upon his face the bird was swinging to the southwest in an effort to avoid the roaming island unfortunately it was too dark for the men to have worked swiftly in trimming the sails even if a full crew had been aloft and there were far too few on the top as it was not thought necessary to have them on duty when the roller was running in the post sunset drizzle green had time for one short prayer no nonsense about punching a god in the nose now and then he was hurled against the wall of the nest There was the loudest noise he'd ever heard, the loudest because it was the crack of doom for him. Rope split like a giant's whip cracking. Spars suddenly released from the rigging, strummed like monster violins. The masts falling down thundered, intermingled with all that were the screams of the people below the deck and in the holes. Green himself was screaming as he felt the foremast lean over, and he slid from the floor of the nest, which had suddenly threatened to become a wall, and fought to hold himself on the wall which had now become a floor. His fingers closed upon the musket support, with the desperation of one who clings to the only solid thing in the world. For a minute the mast stopped its forward movement, held taut by the tangled mass of ropes. Green hoped that he was safe. That all the damage had been done. But no, even as he dared think he might come out alive, the mighty grinding noise began again. The island of rock and trees was continuing its course, and was smashing the hull of the ship beneath it, gobbling up wheels, axles, keel, timber, cargo, cannon, and people. The next he knew he was flying through the air, torn from his hold catapulted far away from the roller it seemed as if he actually soared gained altitude though this must have been an illusion then the hard return to earth the impact of his face his body his legs the outstretched arms to soften the blow that must surely splinter his bones and pulp his flesh the pitiful arms the last warding-off gesture before annihilation The series of hard blows like many fists. The sudden realization that he was among tree branches and that his fall was being broken by them. His trying to grab one to hang on and its slipping away and his continued rapid and punishing descent. Then oblivion. He didn't know how long he'd been unconscious but when he sat up he saw through the trunks of the trees the shattered hull of the bird about a hundred feet away. It was lying on its side on a lower level than he was, so he supposed that he was sitting on the slope of a hill. Only half of the craft was in sight, it must have been broken into and in most of the mid-deck and stern ground into rubble beneath the advancing juggernaut of the island. Dully he realized that the drizzle had stopped. The clouds had cleared and the big and little moons were up. The seeing was good, too good. There were people left alive in the wreck—men, women, and children who were trying to climb through the tangle of ropes, spars, and broken, jagged projecting planks. Screams, moans, shouts, and calls for help made a chaos. Groaning, he managed to rise to his feet. He had a very painful headache. One eye was so swollen he couldn't see with it. He tasted blood in his mouth and felt several broken teeth with his lacerated tongue. His sides hurt when he breathed. The skin seemed to have been torn off the palms of his hands. His right knee must have been wrenched, and his left heel was a ball of fire. Nevertheless he got up. Amra and Poxy and her other children were in there, that is, unless they'd been caught in the other half. He had to find out, even if they were beyond his help, there were others who weren't. He started to hobble through the trees. Then he saw a man step out from behind a bush. Thinking that he must be a survivor who had wandered off in a dazed condition, Green opened his mouth to speak to him. But there was something odd about him that imposed silence. He looked closer. Yes, the fellow wore a headdress of feathers, and held a long spear in his hand, and the moonlight, where it slipped through the branches and shone upon that exposed shoulder, gleamed red, white, blue-black, yellow, and green. The man was painted all over with stripes of different colors. Green slowly sank down upon his hands and knees behind a bush. It was then that he became aware of others who stood behind trees and watched the wreck. Then these emerged from the darkness under the branches. Presently at least fifty plumed, painted, armed men were gathered together, all silent, all intently inspecting the wreck and the survivors. One raised a spear as a signal, and gave a loud, whooping war-cry. The others echoed him, and when he ran out from beneath the branches they followed him. Green could watch only for a minute before he had to close his eyes. no no he moaned the children too when he forced himself to look again he saw that he had been mistaken in thinking that everybody had been put to spear after the first vicious onslaught in which they killed indiscriminately and hysterically like all undisciplined primitives they spared the younger women and the little girls those able to walk were lined up and marched off under the guard of half a dozen spearmen The two badly injured were run through on the spot. Even in the midst of this scene Green felt some of his intense anguish eased a little. Amra was still alive. She held Paxi in one arm and with the other, pulled Soon, her daughter, by the temple sculptor. Though she must have been terribly frightened, she faced her captors with the same proud bearing she'd always had, whether in the presence of a peasant or prince. Inzox, her maid, stood behind her. Green decided that he'd better try to follow her and her captors at a discreet distance. But before he could get away he saw the women and older children of the savages appear, bearing torches. Fortunately none came his way. Some of these mutilated the dead, dancing around the hacked corpses and howling in imitation of the adult men. Then began the work in earnest the carving up of the flesh. These painted people were cannibals and made no bones about it. Fires were being lit for a midnight snack before the bulk of the meat was brought back to wherever their homes were. End of chapter 16.